Thank you for listening to the South Bay Bible Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered family, and we want you to know about the good news of Jesus Christ. So stay tuned for this week's message.
and ethnicity and language. This is a, this is a, a Chinese church or an African-American church or a multi-ethnic church by culture and language. We also describe churches by, you know, what they believe, their expression of their theology. You could be Baptist, very conservative, wear a suit and tie, or you can be charismatic, waving flags, right? Waving flags, painting, dancing, whatever it is. You could be conservative, progressive, traditional, all these ways to describe what a church is. My personal favorite way to describe a church, though, is whether it's cool and hip. <laughs> this is a cool church. This is a hip church. How would you describe our church? Cool and hip, right? <laughs> Come on, no? You're like, no, this guy's not cool, not hip. I'm trying. Look at this. I got a bracelet and everything. But, I, you know, I, I think there's nothing wrong with the way that we describe churches, really. It's, it's just a description of, a statement of fact. It's just what it is, right? But I, this morning, I want to ask this question. It's something a little bit deeper. Instead of asking what the church is like, let's ask, what does the church love? Because that gets to more of what we're here to do. Why we exist as a church. Not just to be but to actually show our heart and love. Because when we have these conversations of try to describe churches, we rarely get to describe to this, to this point of the question, what does a church love? Because can you really tell what a church loves? Like, can you tell what SBBC loves? Today I want to try to lay some groundwork for us, big picture, for us as a church family, uh, to start figuring out this question together. What do we love as a church? Not just who we are and what we're like, how big we are, what languages we speak, but what do we actually love? Where is our heart whole, right? Um, yeah, just more than the superficial. Let's get to the heart. So this morning we're gonna try to answer that question. Oh, that's the first point, but let's pray. Let's pray. We'll give this time to the Lord, let's pray. God, we thank you again. Thank you again for the space and time, for this church family that you've blessed us with, God. And right now, this time is yours. Our hearts are yours. God, Spirit, move in this place. God, we are yours. Surrender this time to you, God. Because all the words that I could think of, all the arguments that I could think of, uh, all the illustrations I could write down mean nothing if, God, you do not move if you do not minister to your people this morning, to your children, to your family. So God, thank you for being our good Father. Thank you for, minute, for meeting us here in this place. Even, God, we pray for the children in this room and the children downstairs, God, meet them, God. In, in their tender, innocent hearts, God, we pray that you would meet them. So God, this time is yours. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 So the answer might be obvious, right? What does a church love? Definitely this. A church loves God, right? You can't not you can't be a church and just ignore this basic premise of what a church is. It's like the Sunday school answer. We want to be a church that loves God. We want to be a church. What does it mean though to love God? There's a verse here that I want to give. The verse here. Found in Matthew 22, verse 36. This is Jesus answering question. People questioning him. What's the greatest commandment? What is the teacher? What is the great commandment? What, which is the great commandment in the law? And, and 37. And he, Jesus, said to him, You shall love 
the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And so I think what we see here is this, it's very clear in Scripture, and I think this, this is very straightforward for us who have an understanding growing up in church. The church has to display and be about the love of God, the Lord your God. It's, he deserves our love. And how does this work out? We can keep going. Next slide. Um, we see this in passionate worship, so people raising their hands. We see, the, oh, this is, we sing our hearts out to the Lord. When you are moved by something, you often you cry out, you sing. Um, funny enough, I saw a lot of this type of raising hands and shouting last Monday in San Francisco after the Warriors <laughs> won the championship. I'm pointing at the Laker fan in the audience. <laughs> the, but there was this crazy picture. I, didn't, I should have put it up here. But it was of Clay Thompson holding out the trophy like, an, like, like a golden idol or something. And then the people rushed into the street, filling the whole street illegally. <laughs> I'm trying to... And it looked like this. They were just like, Clay, we love you. That's kind of the idea. We see it in our sporting world. It's kind of silly, right? Because it's just sports. But this is the same thing that God's created us to do for him. To worship him. To show our love to him. To cry out to him. So we worship God. Next one. Oftentimes we think of how do I love God? We worship, but also we read his word. We spend time meditating on his word. Memorizing, mining the scriptures to know more about who our God is. Studying the word. I mean, it's in our name. South Bay Sebastian Church. <laughs> no. South Bay Bible Church. Because we know that this is where we encounter God and how he meets with us. But also, there's, a, there's another way. Through prayer. Just on our knees, in the closet, in the car, wherever you are. Speaking to God are from our hearts, but also listening to God. That's the other half of prayer, guys. It's a two-way conversation. So this is all, because we love God, we worship Him. Because we love God, we open up the Word and read the Scriptures and study the Scriptures. Because we love God, we talk to Him. We spend time with Him. Hearing what He has to say to us. And also pouring out our burdens, our thanksgiving to him in prayer. So all of these things are great, non-negotiable, the foundation. You want whatever you want to say, this is awesome. But this just describes a personal relationship with God, doesn't it? It's me and God. Just me and you here. Just you and me here now. Exactly. It's the idea of worshiping God. Of spending time by yourself reading the word, spending time by yourself praying. Let's keep going. This is the second part of the scripture here. So, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So, yes, we have that personal devotional love for God on our own time, but that's just the personal relationship. That's not all. See, everything that I read about Scripture, it, it just always blows my mind of how much we try to put God in a box and say, here, just go to church. 
Here, just read the Bible. Here, just pray, and you're good. But look at here, the same breath that Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind. He also says, what? To love your neighbor as yourself. It's these two things combined. So we must be a church that loves God, but also a church that loves our neighbors. Because it's not just a personal relationship with God. It's about having the love of God for others. See, we can be a church with uh, awesome preaching, which I'm working on it, guys. I'm trying my best here. <laughs> um, we can have, be a church with awesome worship and you know, music. Good job playing this morning. Awesome job. And amazing prayer meetings like Auntie Amy's led last uh, Friday night. Awesome prayer meetings. But if we don't love our neighbors, there's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with us. Think about what it means, with the word neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Are they exactly like you? Maybe. Maybe you live next to a twin, married to another, like exactly like, I'm pretty sure not though. You don't really get to pick your neighbors all like 100% of the time. A neighbor is just someone next to you, isn't it? But more importantly, most likely, a neighbor is probably someone who's very different than you. I think that's the heart of what Jesus is talking about here. So you love God, but you also love the people that are different than you just as much as you love yourself. Meaning that you see the humanity in the other, people, the other person. Maybe your neighbor goes to church, perfect yard, Two kids, well-behaved, never have parties. Or maybe your neighbor's fence is falling over. Maybe your neighbor's tree is dropping all this stuff in your yard. I've had all these things happen. Maybe your neighbor has a loud car. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Uh, one of my neighbors was launching fireworks, um, not during 4th of July, which is coming up. I'm like, ah. Oh. <laughs> this is right when we're trying to sleep train Caleb too. It's like, no, firework, the last thing I expected and the last thing I wanted. How do you love your neighbor? See, Jesus doesn't just say, love your friendly neighbor. Doesn't just say, love your rich neighbor. Doesn't say, just love your generous, giving, awesome neighbor. He simply says, love your neighbors as yourself. Let's take what Jesus says to heart. Let's take what Jesus teaches to heart. See, today what's happening in San Francisco, there's another parade, not for the warriors, but it's Pride Month, isn't it? It's Pride Month, a celebration of LGBTQ, all the other things, plus, plus. Um, and there's a ton of people there. That's our neighbor, too. You think about the protesters on both sides about the abortion debate, that's our neighbor. I think thinking about more of Jesus' teachings, thinking about the parable even of the Good Samaritan. You guys know that parable, right? A Jewish person was robbed, left for dead on the side of the road. A bunch of religious, rich Jewish people passed by him, leaving him to die But The enemy of the Jewish people. Someone who was very different, a Samaritan came and helped him, cared for him, paid for him to get better, took care of him, showed compassion, 
show to love our neighbor. See, it's not just about what our neighbors look like, whether they agree with us, whether they fit into our lives or to our churches, whether they're the same. It's just about us taking the initiative to actually see maybe someone who is in need. This person's hurting and dying on the side of the road. What can I do? What has God given to me that can be used to help someone else? That's the idea, to love our neighbors. Uh, I, I just want to go on a very small tangent because I know that uh, this is very relevant right now, which is the, the topic of the Dobbs case in the Supreme Court. Um, I'll just be very short here because this is something that I believe not to bring politics to the pulpit. So uh, this is some, I, I know that abortion is a very divisive, emotional, very charged issue. Um, but when all the news came out this week, I wasn't really, I knew it was divisive, but I didn't know it was this divisive. Really, honestly, I did not expect it to be this bad. Because as a Christian, I have friends on both sides of this. In the church, I see people posting, praise God, this is the best day ever. You know, we, God has answered our prayers, this is amazing. And I see other people be like, where are we, what's happening, my life is falling apart. There's these two extremes and very little nuance and very little agreement and able to talk to one another. And then at the same time, I'm thinking about this scripture. What does this mean? What is God saying to us in this moment? What does it mean to love our neighbor who's had an abortion? Who's thinking about having an abortion? What does it mean to love our neighbor who is rejoicing over this, over this overturning of the, the Dobbs case? or the roadie weight. What does it mean? What does it mean to really love our neighbor? Now, I think, uh, let me just be straightforward with you guys. I don't have an answer. I'm just me. <laughs> I'm looking to scripture for guidance, looking for God, praying for, for some type of revelation, for something about what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to be? But time and time again, I read scripture and all I see is love the other person. Now we can debate about what is a person, but do you really want to? Or can you just look at someone, not fight them, not argue them, but see what you have that they need, or what God has given to you that you can pass to them? I want to um, I want to just give some pastoral advice about what's happening in our country. You can take it, you can leave it. It's okay. Because uh, I know, actually, Eric is a, a lawyer, so I mean, you, you probably know much more than I do. I'm not equipped to talk about this. I don't know anything about the Supreme Court. I don't know much about abortion, to be honest. I'm not a doctor. Just a pastor. So I want you guys to show love to everyone. Show the love of God to everyone. Especially to those who are hurting right now. You might be real happy. You might be very pro-life. Be really, really excited. But think about your neighbor might be different than you. What does it mean to show love to them? Because I believe that, well, I know that a lot of, a Christ, a lot of Christians in America have, have gotten abortion. And they feel ostracized from the family of Christ because of what they've done in the past. I pray that that is not the case for our church. Even though we might disagree about what is right and what is wrong, what is non-negotiable is that we love God, we love our neighbors, okay? 
So just know that I'm thinking about now that this is a thing that we have has come up, what does it look like to be the church? Yes, to pray. Yes, to love our neighbors. But what are tangible steps that we can take? There's great organizations in the Bay Area, such as Foster the Bay, that work on strengthening foster families. Um, there's also ways to advocate for single moms who might feel like there's a huge burden now because abortion and all these things are, are more in the light. Uh, and even adoption, adoption services as well. These are things that we've touched on. I think of, of New Life, New Hope, uh, the orphanage in China. That same heart that God has for the orphan still exists today. And so I, I, as a church, there's a lot that we can do tangibly but I want us to be loving to our neighbors, especially the ones that we don't agree with, okay? None of this fighting, none of this I'm right, you're wrong. Let's, let's hold on to our truth and our values, but also extend love to those who are different than us. Anyways, that was a short tangent, hopefully short enough. If you, and I wanna encourage you guys also, last thing, if you have questions about all this stuff, because it's so political, but also the church is so wrapped up in it. If you're just confused, you have questions, you disagree with what's the church, like, if you have anything, I want to talk. I just don't want to be like a loudspeaker from the pulpit about political things. So, if you want to talk with me today, I'm all game. Let's talk, alright? So, church that loves God, church that loves our neighbors, last thing here. A church that loves one another. Loves one another. The verse here that, uh, that we've been meditating on for, for most of Pentecost, actually, is uh, found in Jesus' teaching in John 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is so crucial, because Jesus is not talking to the crowds and the multitudes here. He's in an upper room with his closest disciples. So the you that he's referring to here is just his disciples, his believers, Meaning for us, this is the church. When you, Jesus says, love one another. He's saying, look around you right now. If we were to apply this to us today, it's like, look at the person next to you. Look at the person across the aisle. This is, what, this is who the one another is. This is the church that Jesus is talking about. See, loving our neighbors is one thing. Right? To see the humanity in them. But to love each other has to go a little deeper. To love one another as I, Jesus is saying, Jesus loves us. We are to love one another. And how does Jesus love us? See, the context of this, where Jesus says this command, is in the Last Supper, right? The upper room. What does he say? What does he do right before this? He gets down on his knees. He takes off his outer garment. He washes his disciples' own feet. That's the context of this commandment. It's all connected, guys. So what does it mean to, how does Jesus love his disciples? Sacrifice and serving, right? Washing each other's feet. That's what it means to love one another. And thinking about what happens right after the Last Supper. Jesus gets arrested. He's beaten. He's tried. He's crucified. For the sins of the world because he loves his disciples he loves us so jesus is saying love one another as i have loved you and will love you wash each other's feet serve one another 
but also when it takes, when, it, when it push comes to shove, we have to show that sacrificial love for one another, taking up our cross. Next verse here. This is in the Gospel of Luke, a different gospel. Then Jesus says to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. So as Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, then he goes to the cross and dies. What does it mean for us? There's no physical cross that we're going to right now. What's the daily cross that we take up? It's a denial of ourself. So that we can show our love for one another. See, that's one point I want to clarify. To love one another is not just about showing our feelings of love and adoration for one another, but it's actually very, very concrete and tangible. It's about serving, washing one another's feet. And it's about denying ourselves and showing that love that Jesus has for one another. So one more point of clarity here. I think serving one another is pretty straightforward, right? There's only one way to wash someone's foot, right? Unfortunately, there's only one way to wash someone else's foot. You have to get down, really get in there. It's pretty straightforward. But what does it mean to deny yourself? What does that mean? Um, you know, because right? for me, growing up in church, especially as a pastor's kid, hearing this word, deny yourself, I think I probably imported a lot of other thinking into that, denying yourself. And what it led me down the path was, instead of just simply denying myself, it began to be hate yourself, dislike yourself, all of these things that it doesn't really mean. I think denying yourself is very different than what it means to dislike yourself. Denying yourself simply means you're not thinking of yourself. You're not thinking of what you need, what you want, what you, what you deserve. That's a denial of yourself. Instead of that, sometimes you think, oh, I hate myself. Oh, I'm not worthy. Oh, I've sinned too greatly. Oh, I'm, I'm not deserving. Oh, I can't do this. I'm not good enough to do that. That's, that's another path that, is not, that Jesus is not talking about here. So serve one another and deny yourself. That's how we show our love to each other. And I want to give a shout out to all of you here. Those, those here who are, have been here for years and um, who have served and, and come week after week, um, walking with everyone else here, wanting to um, just simply live a life of faith and devotion for the Lord. You guys are great at serving one another. And I think last week I was in Second Thessalonians and the Apostle Paul was saying, I'm so encouraged by your faith. And I want to just reiterate that to all of you. I'm encouraged by your faith because I see this. <clears throat> I see this in our church. Can we do more? Yes. And I want to push you guys to do more and more. So find new ways, perhaps people that you haven't seen in a couple of years, to, to serve them, to love them, to think of them before you think of yourself. Right? That's how we show our love for one another. So we love God. We're a church that loves our neighbor. We're a church that loves one another. These are the three great loves that I want us to 
go after. You know, when I was writing, let me be very honest with you. When I was writing this message, I actually had a fourth blood there. And that was love for yourself. I was like, oh, this fits perfectly. You know, love God, love the others, and love yourself. And I was like, all right, let me find some verses here that I remember trying to figure out, what does the Bible say about loving yourself? Can any of you think of a Bible verse that talks about loving yourself? If you can, let me know. Because <laughs> I searched for it. I was like, this is going to fit perfectly into my message. Blah, 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 blah. And I opened up the scriptures, and lo and behold, this is what I find. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. <laughs> lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying his power. This is what God, the word of God says about loving yourself. So I was wrong. <laughs> very wrong. Thank the Lord that he gave us his word. Otherwise, I would have preached a very different message this morning. See, <laughs> throughout scripture, it's very clear and very obvious that when we try to love ourselves, oftentimes it gets in the way of what we're created to do, which is love God, love our neighbor, and love each other. When we take all that energy and transfer it to ourselves, we go crazy. We start to hate, hate one another. We start to hoard wealth. We start to go us versus them. We say church split in this way because we have no more love for one another. But when our love and our energies are, are pointed to the correct things that God intended, to love him above all else, and because we love him, we love those around us, serving one another, denying ourselves. That's what God desires in his kingdom. I read this, I was just cracking up in my, my own prep. Like, I'm so wrong. <laughs> I was like, yes, God loves you, so love yourself. I'm like, wait a minute. The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say to love yourself. What does it say? It says to remain in the love of God. That God loved the world, that he sent his only son to die on the cross. And so, yes, God loves you, because he sent his son to die on the cross for you. But what do you, do you in turn, just say, I'm so lovable. I love myself and disregard everyone else that God loves? No. It's that God has saved you. He has redeemed you because he loves you. And now we are called to share that love, not with ourselves, but for everyone else. It's for God and for everyone else. When we internalize it, we make it a personal thing that God loves me, and so I, I love myself. That's missing the point, church. We have to be a people that share and pour out the love of God to others. Starts with your family, right? Starts with your spouse, starts with your roommate, starts with your children, starts with each other here, and also expands to our neighbors. Because if we don't have a love here in our church, how are we supposed to invite those who don't know God into this community? They come here, where is the love? 
Why, why don't you guys actually love, like each other? Why are you guys all about living for yourself? I could get this elsewhere. I could get this better elsewhere. But if there's something here that God's doing, I think that is this. It's breaking down the walls between us as a church, binding us together in love. Because we need each other. We need to be receiving love from others, not just trying to love ourselves, to be self-sufficient. No, we need each other because we need to be loved. We need to be known. So what is our church like? How would you describe SPDC? Are we a church that loves God, loves our neighbors, loves each other? Perhaps, perhaps we, we are. But I know that we can do more. We can be better at this. And I think the way to be better is to continually say no to loving ourselves. Continually say no to putting ourselves before others. See, a love from our church, born out of the love that God has for us, it should actually move us to not just sit here and receive love, but should move us outward, right? First across the aisle, then to our neighbors everywhere else. See, it's, it's so crucial. This is the one thing that we can't buy. Even though I know a lot of us here are, are self-sufficient with finances, you can't buy this. You can't buy this love that God has for us through the church. You can't buy it. You can't provide it for yourself. This takes the spirit moving in our church to grow this. And when you see it, you see it. When you know it, you know. When you taste it, you know it. Uh, I'll just end with one story. Um, one story here. This is a Christian journalist. I think her didn't write her name down. I'm gonna call her Sophia. I should have read, why did I delete the name? Um, <laughs> she's a she's a journalist for Christianity Today. I think her name is Sophia Lee. Um, lives in LA. I know all these details about her, but I don't remember her name. Why, God? Why? Why can't I remember the name? She is a an investigative journalist for Christianity Today, one of the leading uh, Christian news organizations in America. Uh, so she, during the Ukraine war, uh, the height of it, she was sent to Poland to uh, investigate what's going on, find stories of the church, what they're doing to help. But at the same time, she was sent to Poland to investigate. She found out she was also expecting. She was expecting a baby. So pregnant journalist going to war borderland, trying to find what's going on here. Um, of course, she was stressed out, kind of worried, um, but she saw what she saw in, U in Poland of the U Ukrainian refugees, specifically some of the Ukrainian missionaries, changed her life. It changed her life. Why? Because she saw one thing here. So I'll read here her story from her last day in Poland. So my last, this is her, her speaking. My last day in Poland, I visited a church-run warehouse in Warsaw that was sending supplies to hot zones in Ukraine. It was a tense day. The Russians had just bombed a critical bridge, blocking the only way across the river. Meanwhile, 
they had eight trucks, each full of about $40,000 worth of emergency supplies stymied on one side of the bridge. So that bridge was just destroyed by the Russians. The team at the warehouse decided to build rafts out of 50 barrels that would be sturdy enough to carry 160 refugees and several tons of food across the river. So you see this gargantuan effort, people collabor collaborating to save and to provide for people in need. This is her speaking again. Volunteers were still discussing this when a white-haired elderly Ukrainian missionary gestured to my seventh-month pregnant belly with a smile. Boy or girl. He beamed, then asked, can we pray for you and the baby? We would love to pray. It is so important to pray for a new life. And she says, I was taken aback. I had not expected a busy group of Ukrainians besieged with the stresses and logistics of war to pause their day to pray for a stranger from America. The missionary called everyone immediately to their feet and they gathered around, placed their hands on my shoulders and began praying in unison in Ukrainian with loud voices and palms and pumped fists. I had no idea what they were saying, but I understood their hearts and I soaked it all in. Beautiful foreign words of faith, of blessing, of love and joy over a new life colliding with the presence of death and grief. It took all my willpower not to burst out crying. I had not had that much mental and emotional space to be still and pray. I didn't realize how much I had needed this, an expression of faith declared by someone else over me, for me, to me. See, that is what it means to have a need met that you can't purchase, that you can't provide for yourself. And that's why we need to be a church that shows love to each other, to our neighbors, because of what God has done for us. Because everyone needs this. Whether you're a journalist going to Poland, researching the Ukrainian war, whether you're here in the Silicon Valley, doing your best to provide for your family, there is a hole in all of us that God wants to use you to minister to someone else, to show love. So, church, it starts with this openness to wanting to love others. And what do we have to give? Silver and gold I have not, right? As the apostle said, but this I have. The power of God through prayer through compassion, through your presence here. So I'm praying for all of us here, especially for you online if you couldn't make it, um, that you would know that we can be a church and we will be a church that grows in this way of loving each other. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's pray. God, we... We are undeserving of your love, God, first of all. While we were still enemies, God, you died for us. It is because of you, what you have done, that you chose us, that you redeemed us, you justified us through the sacrifice of your son. So God, beyond all the theology, beyond all the doctrine, God, we have a need. 
and we need to be known. We need to be fully loved and accepted. So God, would you pour out the revelation of love to our church family, especially in divided, crazy times that we live in. Because God, we need you. We need your love. Open our hearts, God.